Hey guys, this is Ronnie. Just a reminder, these are old episodes, and if you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Rebooted channel on YouTube, and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. And announcing a new podcast with Ed Greer, Ron Swallow, and producer Bill called The Greatest Pod. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, if you want to support us monetarily, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash thegreatestpod, and you can sign up for the $5 tier that gets you extra podcasts, or sign up for the $7 tier that gets you the extra podcasts and art sent directly to your house. We've got a new Tee Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want. The Mumbo Gumbo, the Pop Art Reboot Crew, the Classic Logo, and then, of course... The Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan-favorite comments. So, do yourself a favor. Go to tpublic.com slash user slash reboot dash it and pick up your favorite t-shirt. So, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Reboot It. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Reboot It rewind i'm ron swallow and we got the whole cast from reboot it this is our after show uh we'll go back and talk about some of our biggest and most heated episodes uh biggest or most heated yeah, that's right guys it could be either one of them uh this one was a pretty good one i would get i would say uh and we have the we have the crew minus uh new dad billy business congratulations to uh billy by the way uh we got ed greer hey what's up i saw billy's baby it already has uh, the billy scowl and we got producer bill hey hey everybody so because billy is not here today i am running the live stream so uh if we have any issues definitely blame it on me and i apologize in advance (laughs) that's awesome uh we are pretty excited uh let's uh let's get into it before we deep dive into the actual episode uh, let's, uh, we're talking about justice, uh, green lantern, uh, which is, uh, it's on our path to justice league. Cause we're doing that. Right guys. I think when we last discussed Batman was the last time we discussed the DC cinematic property. And we ended that episode by saying, well, now that we've done Batman, now that we've done green lantern, now that we've done Superman, it only makes sense that we tackle one of the most controversial, uh, reboot properties out there. Justice league. Yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense for us to do that. Uh, before we get into it, though, that uh, this was our season two opener uh, back when we thought quarantine would only last like a couple of episodes. Uh, and uh, boy, were we wrong, right, guys? Well, uh, as the Doobie Brothers and Tony Baker say, what a fool believes. <laughs> I, I looked at the episode. Bill looks like a baby in that episode. He looks like a fresh faced kid ready to take on the world. <laughs> now, now I'm white Jesus. I got to show you guys this because I'm going to take my headphones off so you could just see the hair is real right now, y'all. Oh, wow. Is not around. You're Keanu. You're Keanu right now in fucking Wick. You're Keanu Wick. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, I am 100% flowing free and easy here. So that's where we yeah, are you- in our quarantine timeline. You got that kind of hair length where you just always look wet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just the lack of showering. It's just the grease buildup. <laughs> I've uh, I, I'm lucky because I I just I basically use a shaver and then just trim the top, so it's like yeah. relatively easy haircut. Anybody well, yeah. can do it. I guess you guys, I'll show you my back hair. Let's uh, 
<laughs> I was gonna say my wife keeps uh, offering to cut my hair for me, and uh, I am not taking her up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about uh, uh, the difficulties of transitioning to doing the way we've been doing it. How do you guys how do you guys feel about it? Well, having just done a mad scramble trying to get this live stream up and running, I would say it's kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting, like, how everything has changed. And, like, I hate, like, this is the scariest, it's a very scary moment in, like, history. People are literally dying. It's very scary. Um, at the same time, I built a studio, and it turns out that I'm really good at poker online, and I would never have found that out if it wasn't thanks to the coronavirus. I don't know how to feel about that. It's terrible. No, totally. I, I just got to address real quick in the stream, um, guys, I look more like Keanu than Nicolas Cage. I take offense to that. Uh, yeah, I take offense to that. <laughs> and also, um, thank you, Daniel Bright, uh, for complimenting the beard. Because, yeah, it does look good. Thank you. The beard, yeah, the beard is fierce. The beard is good. Uh, Ron, I just want to echo what you're saying, though. I mean, I think, look, I don't like this on a personal level because uh, I don't remember if I revealed this or not on the air. But, like, I 100% got laid off due to coronavirus because I was producing live touring shows, which just went away. Um, and I've picked up a little bit of work since then, but otherwise I'm living off savings, which is never a great place to be. That no. said, I have a TV project and a feature film project that have started to materialize over the past month or so. And yeah, I mean, if I was working full time to produce live touring events, I don't know that that would happen for me either. So it is no. kind of a weird thing. Yeah, you know, when I think this is something interesting that I've seen happening with people is just that everybody's learned to be flexible. And when you've when you've been through some stuff in your life, you have the ability to go, okay, well, this has happened. Now I've got to do something because I have to flow with whatever's happening. You you can't just like stomp your feet and and be angry and try to punch it in the face. You have to kind of flow with it. Uh, be like bamboo, as they say, uh, and, and, and you know, like you you sway. You don't stand up to it and then crack. You, you... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, uh, and obviously, I just you know, we've probably said this before, and we'll probably say it again, unfortunately. But uh, I, I like the fact that we've been able to do this as just a sense of normalcy for people. You know what I mean? Like they can they can see their online buddies saying some stuff. They can see. You know, me talk about big women and you talk about freaking Tom Holland and they'll be like, <laughs> Dark Side should be in this. Damn it. Damn it. Dark Side should be in this. <laughs> they, they can see us do all of our tropes. Yeah. And it's like hanging out. And it's and I can only imagine some of the people who really don't have significant others or, you know, if their significant others aren't even into this sort of stuff and they don't really go out go out to talk to their friends who like this kind of stuff. We're doing an actual service and I'm I'm glad to be of service in that. Well, and leaning towards that, uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's get into this. How how did you guys feel about uh, doing Green Lantern when you we we had decided we were going to do it? Excited, nervous, in between. How did how did you feel? Um, I think I'm definitely more the DC head than Ed, so I, I'll start on this one. Um, I was excited because if you look at our season one, every episode we did in season one was just a stone cold hit. Right. Like we were tackling some of the most beloved blockbusters of all time. 
when we jumped into Green Lantern, that was our first chance to tackle something that had a lot of room for improvement. And that excited me. Yeah. Yeah, I was excited about it, too, because I was just like, well, um, also just like because the expectations are so much lower, too. I mean, you know, look, some people enjoyed that Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds, but I think most people would agree that it was kind of a mess. Um, and so, like, it was fun to be able to improve on a character that I really like. Uh, and I felt like we we did a pretty good job doing that. Uh, I was nervous, of course. I'm nervous every time, I think, because it's just like, it's like, what am I going to say? Am I going to am I going to say something stupid or am I going to, uh, you know, pull out something interesting? You know, so I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it, but I was nervous. Definitely. Well, yeah, I, I just think uh, for me, it was another opportunity to show that I'm a Marvel shill. I'm in Disney's pocket. <laughs> I, I hate Time Warner and their their new um their new incel division where they're selling Rorschach uh, Rorschach <laughs> series and Joker movies. <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's my lot in life. Of course, I'm being funny. Uh, I personally uh, have had a prejudice against Green Lantern because just the amorphous nature of his powers, the fact that somebody that powerful has to go talk to some big headed blue dudes like. Just, I, I just hate all that. I think it's really whack. Uh, and uh, I think overall we were able to take my bad attitude about it <laughs> and put it through Bill's love of it and Billy's and, and your toleration of it and, and make something that's greater than any of us could have pulled off by ourselves, which is the point of the show, right? Well, I got to say, just to jump on that, Ed, I don't have any great love for Green Lantern. I would say out of like the big seven or, you know, big eight, nine Justice League characters, Green Lantern's probably near the bottom for me. Um, I, which I think kind of helped in approaching this because I definitely have a love for big cosmic space opera stuff. Um, but I've always found Green Lantern, like Green Lantern and Flash, we talked about Flash in our Batman Rewind. Those two characters have always landed least for me just because they have such amorphous limitations to what they can do. Neither one of those characters has ever really had a very strong sort of emotional through line. It's always just been like strong jawed guy gets powers, does good stuff. So, you know, I, I think, and maybe this is how we transition into talking about the episode. Like, I think first of all, the decision to use Kyle Rayner and John Stewart immediately made it more interesting to me because I have no yep. great love of Hal Jordan. So, you know, we, I think we all came into this episode ready to shake things up. Um, and actually, before you move on, Ron, I would want to ask the commenters right now, the people in the chat, what do you guys like better? Do you guys like it better when we tackle something that has really stood the test of time as like a monumental achievement? Or do you guys like something better like Green Lantern, where it's like, look, this had one arguably crappy version and now we're going to try to take it and redeem it. I'm curious what people like better. Yeah, I, I like uh, Levi has a pretty interesting comment. He said, your Green Lantern reboot was one of the tastiest pieces of DC heresy I've ever listened to. <laughs> I loved it. And I'm a huge fan. Green, I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. It's a great job. So, you know, it's it's sometimes you have to have a little bit of heresy when you're when you're making a comic book movie into something. It, it doesn't have to totally be Harris. You still have to stick to the characters, uh, ideals and, you know, the basic ideas of the powers and stuff like that. Uh, Daniel Bright said, Oh man, I grew up on green lantern. That comic has always been my favorite, even above the more popular characters. Uh, Blacklash said, I like both equally. So I don't know. What do you, what do you guys? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 
overall, though, I think what what is it's what you like in superhero dumb. There are people yeah. who like the infinite potential of infinite potential characters. I personally like he's got a knife and he's got a gun and he has to stop a thousand people from doing something bad. That's well, I, that's me. I like that more than I can do anything. What will I do with it? That's just well, a personal preference. Well, see, for me, it was I mean, one of the things I like about Green Lantern is that the limits are his belief and his his imagination. It's almost like the religion I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> Green uh, Lantern is an avatar for the secret. I love it. Um, kind of in a way. I mean, if you think about it, like I mean, I think we touched on it Gotta a little believe. bit in the episode. Yeah. You have to 100% believe, and and you have to be imaginative too. Like it, you have to be able to picture all these things and really put it together. And sure, your power is almost limitless if you really think about it. But like. You know, we talked about how Batman freaking took the ring off at one point. He has to stay focused and there has to be problems to make that power work. And and I think that's that adds into it. And I love the idea of imagination being a power really when it comes down to it. Well, and also just one last thing. Every time you give people powers, I think that the propensity for writers is to add more powers to the power to try to do some sort of wrinkle over the course yep. of 70, 80, 90 years of continuity. So with, with Alan Scott, Look at Alan Scott's Green Lantern. He can't he can't deal with wood. Like the New York <laughs> Yankees could beat the hell out of Alan Scott. You know what I'm saying? But yep. under other circumstances, he can go toe-to-toe with any other Silver Age or Golden Age hero that there was. You know, but as long as they don't have any wood, you know what I mean? So I, I just think it's one of these things where then we get to the yellow and get to this, that, and the other. All I'm saying is somewhere along the line it stopped being and that's why i think they had to do that reboot of of Greenlander where batman takes off his ring and proves that he has his lack of uh his lack of concentration could be a weakness because the green lantern i grew up on sometimes he would be knocked unconscious and a green field would get around him and save him from stuff it, it, and it also translated every language so he, he never had any sort of problem communicating with anybody it was like it's doing everything for you why are you a hero even and I know that if I read all the comics, I could see the times when that wasn't the case. But so often it was the case that he had this safety net at all times. Yeah. And I just wanted to eradicate that from our version to the point where a straight, you can have all the power in the universe, but a guy with a razor could get you if you're not concentrated. Exactly. Uh, and let's, uh, that, I think that leads us to uh, our pitch and the, and the cast. So basically what we came up with is uh, John Stewart barely escapes with his life at the start of the movie after beginning to unravel an intergalactic conspiracy involving a rogue artificial planet called Warworld, which is being used to steal other inhabited planets. The battle-hardened John makes it to Earth, where the existence of the Green Lanterns is not known and is saved by millennial slacker comic book artist Kyle Rayner. <laughs> Kyle is recruited into John's trust no one gambit to ally with the princess uh, Starfire of Tamaran and save her world from the coming of Mongol who wants to conquer his way into his seat on the Galactic Council. Uh, we went with uh, Kyle Rayner. Uh, we got Ansel Elgort. Mm. Uh, Starfire, Starfire, which I thought this was a great pick, is uh, Naomi Aki. Uh, John Stewart, we decided on Idris Elba. Uh, Mongol, we kind of we went back and forth on this one. We went between Tom Hor uh, Tom Hardy and Forrest Whitaker, but in that kind of um, sort of like great actor Shakespearean like uh, gravitas type of actor that you could get. Um, and then a director of Spike Jones is how we uh, ended that out. So um, 
we knew we had to do better than the Ryle Reynolds movie, which some people love, but was generally considered a failure. Now that we're several months removed from it, what do you guys think about the episode? Uh, does it give you nightmares or were we being too hard on ourselves or did you have a good time? I mean, I, I just hearing you read it back, it gets me excited all over again, to be honest with you. <laughs> we had a couple people in the in the live chat talking about how we really deviated from the Green Lantern comics. And yeah. like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I get it that like Mongol is a really left field choice to sort of open your Green Lantern franchise. But by the same standpoint, to Ed's point, you get that he's yellow so you can work in the weakness right away. And then also the idea of bringing in Starfire and sort of immediately opening up the world without getting into something sort of as consequential as like Krypton or the new gods. I thought that was really fun too. So I, I think we did a really good job sort of putting together a story that's appropriately cosmic that opens up a universe, but doesn't like blow its load too early either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was fighting so hard for a certain DC traditionalism at a certain point. I think we got into it in the Superman episode. Cause I was just like, which we'll talk about later, I guess. But uh, I was like, why do we have to have it be after this movie? The Superman's the guy who inspires everybody. And it's like, again, physician, heal thyself. I'm the one who's always wanting to throw out the stuff. Why, you know, if, if indeed human beings encountered outer space and encountered aliens as bad things, full stop, and then the greatest savior of our times also comes down and is an alien, that would mess up our psychology. There would be a lot of stories there and we would have earned that mixed psychology that they tried to put in the Snyder movies. It was, it's, it's kind of brilliant. And I'm sorry that in the Superman episode, I fought so hard against it because it's, it's pretty brilliant to introduce alien culture in this manner. Yeah. First of all, I love hearing you say that Ed, because I think you and I were the ones who were really going back and forth about whether that was valid or not. Mm -hmm. And, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, one of the things that one of the comments of this episode said was that it doesn't even really need to have anything to do with earth. And I think we kind of left it up in the air. There was this idea that like maybe by the end of the movie, Mongol does decide because they foil his plans for Tamaran, I'm going to go and steal earth. And there's a great sort of third act climax of earth being ripped out of its orbit, which I think could be an amazing setup for a Superman movie where we just have yeah. this brush with something so unbelievably crazy, but nobody really knows what happens. But if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. The Green Lanterns can just exist out in the universe, and the idea of these powers sort of slowly making their way to Earth is another mm. great way to set up the DC universe. Superman could still be the first Earth-bound superhero. That doesn't mean that all this other stuff isn't happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I, also... Just uh, just one thing, uh, the whole, the structure, to me, the, our master stroke was the structure of why these guys are together. The old grizzled guy and the young guy, I'm a little bit too hurt to do what I need to do. It's like John Wick comes to your house or, or like that, that Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man comic where Wolverine got shot all the hell to the point where he could barely walk. He goes to the one house where he smells that he knows a person's in there. It happens to be uh, Spider-Man. He's in Spider-Man's basement trying to heal up and spider-man has to kind of like deal with the fact that a giant government conspiracy is trying to kill this dude and this dude is holed up in his house we kind of put john stewart in a situation where he can't fight his way out of it he's too hurt mm. and it's too big for him the case is too big mcgarnacle and he has to enlist a citizen to help him 
You know what I mean? That just in and of itself puts him in a different and better situation than most superheroes start out in a movie to me. There's also something interesting too, Ed, and I, I think we'll get into it when we get into some of the fan comments, but the this idea of a generational divide between Kyle and John mm-hmm. and, and the fact that, you know, always when the Green Lantern story starts, whether it's Hal Jordan or whoever, there's this sort of um, reaction to like, oh, a human Green Lantern, ugh, right? The idea of putting that reaction into Jon Stewart, a human, because he comes to Earth after having been in space for 20 years, going on all these adventures, and now he's got to recruit this slacker jerk kid. There's something really tasty to that. It's like you still get that same dynamic, but it's ratcheted up even more because it's not you know, some alien whatever who's feeling xenophobic towards a human. It's another human who's literally given up on the species being like, oh, my God, I got to work with a human. That's tasty. Right. I really like right. that. Right. And yeah. last things last, the whole thing of him being an artist, it's 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 like uh, the thing about the Einstein said, if a fish, I forgot the quote, but basically if a fish looked at, at, a, at a monkey and was like, damn, I'm whack because I'm not a monkey, then he, he'd be a dumbass because he's like, I'm great at being what I am. Yeah, and what I yeah. am is very valuable to me. A comic book artist, an imaginative person, being the person to save the world, that's some like last starfighter stuff. That's like your skills are useless until they're not, until they're yeah. going to save the universe. It's a great trope. We used it pretty well, well. Well, and I think also the, the theme of having to uh, like uh, every artist has a, has a, a, a problem staying focused. Right. I mean, I think I, that would, everyone would argue that we've, we've all been in a position where we're like, where we're like, Oh, I got to get up and write these jokes. I got to get up and do this, this thing, this, this thing that is part of my art, but isn't the part of the art that I love the most. And, and the finding out that you, you know, how to control those powers and all that sort of, sort of thing. My favorite thing that we did though, in this is, uh, uh, the sort of cop, the, the buddy cop comedy thing, another sure. 48 hours feel to that. That's my favorite thing because I just love the idea that you can, because I think that DC uh, doesn't do a great job with the comedy most of the time. And I, I, I think well, it would, this the Zack Snyder movies. I mean, if you, yes. if you, yeah, if you want to get in, you know, get technical about it. Cause I think, you know, DC has a long tradition of doing great comedy, even including some of the green lanterns, but those Zack Snyder That's movies true. were anti-comedy. Exactly. And uh, I would like to see more, uh, comedy available. It doesn't have to be the running thing. It doesn't have to be overwhelming thing. It just has to be available in there so that when terrible things are happening, there can still be some laughs had at the same time. Yeah. So I think we uh, accomplished that pretty well. So, sorry, I just wanted to check in on the chat real quick. Um, sure. People, first of all, Ed, loving that last Starfighter flavor that you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> obviously so do we. And then uh, we got an interesting comment here. Uh, two interesting comments I'll just throw out there. Martin Campbell is a good director. The man made Goldeneye. I don't think Green Lantern would really be something Spike Jones would invest his time in if he did it. W- if he did it, would be something way different. Uh, I just want to address this because I still love the Spike Jones pick. Here's my only thing about Spike Jones. The man knows how to make a crowd-pleasing movie. Like, yes, he does tend to do stuff that's a little bit more experimental, but... If you look at something, I said in the episode, like Where the Wild Things Are or the movie Her, that sort of combination of whimsy, of of um, humanism with still really spectacular visuals and kind of a soft sci-fi edge, 
I, I'm telling you, man, like I think he could get into this and I think he could bring a cool factor that certainly uh, Hal Jordan normally doesn't have. Um, and then Sartak Bandari, who's a great uh, a fan of ours. What if we start our DC universe with Sandman or Animal Man? Wouldn't that be interesting? Like a direct adaptation of Gaiman or Morrison. I think that's a very weird foundation to lay a cinematic universe on, but those would both be cool movies. They would I, would, I would, yeah, I would definitely like to say of the DC characters that nobody likes, I am an animal man fan. Mm. I I'm kind of, I'm kind of in love with the, the, the stuff that they do with him uh, and his power set and how versatile it is. I mean, we were, I worship at the altar of Spider-Man. I, Animal Man could be Spider-Man while also being Rhino Man while also being Elephant Man and Whale Man and yeah. Giraffe Man at the same time and whoop your ass so many different ways at the same there, there's comic panels where he'll bark like a dog while punching you with the force of a, of a gorilla while running at you with the force of a rhino mess with that you know what I mean Animal Man is a bad dude and then when you put all those powers in with a mentally unstable person who's, who's working out the universe I'm all for that I'm down with Animal Man and I love Neil Gaiman so much, uh, and and I think it's become pretty clear that the way he writes is basically perfect for making movies, TV, and etc. Because pretty much everything I've seen that has been adapted uh, from his stuff has turned out pretty solid. Even things like Lucifer um, are are like are, are good setups for for. Uh, for cinema and, and TV. So uh, I would love to see what people, somebody did with the Sandman and maybe us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's oh, dude, we, we have to do Sandman. When yeah. we finally get to adapt it, we'll, uh, we'll have to ta- tackle Sandman. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into some comments. What do you say? I think we could yeah. do that. All right. So our first comment is from Sean Hannon. Uh, lots of interesting ideas for the reboot, but I'm still not clear as to whether ye- you whether ye decided to keep it on Earth or make it a galactic escapade, I feel like you pitched two very different movies and then pretended you had come to a consensus. I was disappointed that you didn't consider any substantive, substantive female characters until asked, who is the female lead? At which point you added in Starfire to be the hero's alien girlfriend. That was pretty lame, guys. She could have been a character in her own right with absolutely no romantic link to angsty millennial boy protagonist. Aisha Tyler would be awesome in that role, and if she's not the romantic interest for the young hero, then too old is no longer relevant. Finally, Nat Wolf is my pick to play the lead. Okay, I'd like to address some points in there. Number one, that Nat Wolf pick, to me, is kind of brilliant. I looked at it. That kid, I would not trust the future of the universe to that kid. And I think <laughs> that's the point. You know what I mean? That, and he was, a future, he was a former Nickelodeon star, and he, he just seems to have a little bit of weird, a little bit of weird chops, those Nickelodeon chops that there's a, you can't do that many hours of television and I get some kind of skills. So I think that's a nice, uh, I would love to audition him against Timothy Chalamet or whoever the hell mm-hmm. we were having in there uh, as Kyle. That's number one. Number two, I agree with the point that perhaps um, you can broaden out the casting if you don't care about love interest crap. Yeah. I agree with that. I think it would be very cool to do that. However, I think we were also thinking practically as movie makers, yeah. as people who have to sell tickets in a world that maybe isn't locked down and people can go to the movie buy popcorn and stuff. Romance is a big, huge thing. It really is. It's a driver of life in general. We're here 
all of us are here because of romance. <laughs> and a lot of times we go to freaking movies for, for, for the same. And last, Hell, last. some of my favorite movies are, are romantic comedies. Like, um, I, of course, I love the wedding singer so much. You guys, well, yeah, <laughs> so it much. Just, it just last things last is original point about maybe we didn't tie the movies together. I think that happens not a fair amount on rebooted, but I think it, a, a fair amount of stuff that you're not writing the whole screenplay of. However, I do believe that leaving it open to interpretation exactly how much we're going to do in outer space, it befit our process at the time. So I don't, I don't know how getting into the minutia of how is it 65% in space, 32% in space. Right. I don't see how that was going to serve us and what we were trying to do artistically. Well, I kind of addressed this earlier too in talking about it. I mean, Maybe it wasn't clear in the episode, but in my head, it was always really clear that like most of it would, you know, the beginning is on Earth where John recruits Kyle. And then most of Act Two is off Earth where they're trying to save Tamaran. And then Act Three, depending on how much you want to introduce all this cosmic stuff to Earth, comes back to Earth where sort of a vengeful... You know, he's, he's basically the penguin at the end of Batman Returns, right? Like, his bid to join the Galactic Council has been destroyed by Kyle and John, and so, in retaliation, Mongol is going to come to Earth and rip it out of its orbit sort of a thing. And so, it, it's a nice little bookend. You go from, you know, start with a big, splashy cosmic adventure, you're on Earth to recruit the kid, you're on Tamaran working with Starfire to try to, you know, subvert this plot, and then Mongol strikes back when he comes to Earth and tries to destroy or, or steal Earth. Seems pretty clear, I, you know. I would also say, too, um, the Starfire thing, we came to Starfire late in our conversation, but that doesn't mean that she's not an important part of the movie. And I think that it's that's a distinction that we would do well to draw attention to that, like a lot of times the organic nature of these conversations means the a lot of ideas don't get unearthed until we've done a lot of excavation. And I think including Starfire in this movie was just one of those things. Yeah, and I think Starfire is going to be one of the most important part and was the most important part of that whole thing. I mean, she's she's what gets the, the plot moving. So and she also I mean, she's here's the other argument for making her a young person as much as I do love the Aisha Tyler casting, too. She's a reflection of Kyle who understands responsibility and stick to and discipline. Right. And mm-hmm. so he ends up he he sees those things in her. She's you know, she's a princess. She she helps run a planet. So I think that that could be an important sort of give and take between them if he can see himself in her. Yeah, and become better because of her. Absolutely. Um, so let's get to the next one, which kind of goes off of what we were just saying right there. Everything about everything. Okay, one thing, Starfire, no. Kyle has an alien girlfriend named Soranak, not two. Also, she's from Sinestro's home. She's also his daughter. So in the sequel, that's an arc for her. And you can start the second film with her getting a Green Lantern ring. Listen, I got to say, I did not think about that because I don't know Green Lantern well enough to even really know that character, but that might work better than what we came up with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's- I was about to say, I, 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 I totally agree that that could be the case, but I think, again, what we were trying to do artistically, we were being like, look, Sinestro is all up in everything, and maybe yep. Sinestro doesn't have to be Green Lantern's Joker, or maybe we can do like these new uni- this new universe is going to do. Start out your new universe without the Joker, and then eventually bring him in as something that's worthy of being so scared of. Like you can build him up a little bit Thanos style or whatever. 
Yeah, well, and I just wanted a different bad guy. Uh, I just I'm uh, I bored a Sinestro. Uh, I liked I loved I loved using Mongol, um, and I have no problem with Starfire being in this. And look, nerds, I love you guys. I'm just like you in some ways, but I've got to say that. I one thing I've learned doing this with you guys is that sometimes you got to let some of this stuff go. Uh, you're we're, we're not going to make a a shot for shot remake of any comic book if we when we do a reboot. It's just not going to happen. Uh, would I like to see that sometimes? Absolutely. Do I think some of the cartoons are better? You know, the animated features are better than the actual movies that they've been making. Yeah, but we can't. You can't do that. It just doesn't. It's also not as fun creatively, I would argue. There's there's something interesting, too. You know, we kind of did this with Hal Jordan in this episode where we said, look, he exists, but we never see him and we don't really address him other than maybe a passing mention. And I think if Saranic Natu is in the movie and we're using um, uh, Sinestro's home planet instead of Starfire and Tamaran, then... Sinestro can kind of take on that same quality of like, he's an oh. old green lantern that maybe was killed or disappeared in the same way that our Hal Jordan was. And he then becomes an interesting antagonist for a sequel, but also an interesting entree into a more substantive conversation about Hal Jordan. So it's like you have both mm -hmm. of those characters who you think are synonymous with green lantern. And from the beginning for us, they're out the window and finding the most interesting way to bring them back into the mythology is is good storytelling ground. That said, Ron, I agree with you. I think Tamarin and Starfire, you don't lose a ton by going that way. And in fact, it opens up your world even a little bit more than staying so insular to like, what is the Green Lantern mythology? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which also, uh, we got uh, Joel. He said, guys, boomers are in their 70s. You're talking Gen X and Gen Z unless you want to see the movie in the early aughts. <laughs> this is, in, this is a, a comment in talking about the age difference. We kept saying that Jon Stewart was a boomer and Kyle was a millennial. And this was actually <laughs> a comment that came up several times in that comment mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. no, Look, yeah. guys, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know any of the gens at all. Like, I don't understand any of that stuff. <laughs> I, I think I'm Gen X. I have no idea. Uh, who, do, do it by music. Did you listen to Led Zeppelin when you were a kid? Did you listen to Nirvana? Did you listen to MC Hammer? Like, what's what as, was your... Okay, so as someone who does understand the demographics, I will say this. Um, you're kind of right, <laughs> the commenter. You're kind of right. That said, uh, millennials are normally understood to be currently between about 25 and 35, right? So if you basically, if you were in any level of school when 9-11 happened, you're probably a millennial, whether that's kindergarten or you're a senior in college, you're probably a millennial. If you were in preschool or in graduate school, yeah, you're arguably a millennial. So all we got to say is Kyle is on the low end of the millennial spectrum. Kyle is 25, 24 years old. He's still a millennium. And then in the same way, John could be a young boomer. The youngest boomers are around 60. So if John is a little bit older, a little bit grizzled, maybe he's an older Gen Xer if he's more around 50 or so. Um, yeah. But I still think just the attitudinal aspect is there of boomer right. versus millennial. 
Well, yeah. he, I think, and somebody said that um, if John Stewart was a real guy, he'd probably be one of those dudes that has, um, let's say, a girlfriend who who isn't of his culture and probably puts All Lives Matter on his Twitter. <laughs> like, I, I can see something like like he's become. He thinks since he's been out in space that a lot of stuff doesn't really affect him. Mm. He's a citizen of the universe, baby. I'm not black. I'm OJ. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I love that. I and love you just that. sort of, you, you know what I mean? So you just sort of have this, you think you have these greater solutions. And again, to take it out of the racial realm, uh, if he's a citizen of the universe, and he comes back in this kid, this kid's monolingual, spends a bunch of time playing video games and drawing. This person is subhuman to Jon Stewart. Yeah. And he's going to have to hand over a significant portion of the universe's most powerful weapon <laughs> to this person. I, I think that's that sets up great whatever generation you're talking about is what I'm saying. And but, again, uh, I, I do love uh, the human beings uh, uh, clean your room comment in the chat. Yeah, I did. I did liken John Stewart to Jordan Peterson on some level. And maybe I was just trying to hint at maybe some weird politics being outside of everything. Well, you don't have to deal with real life. You can have some pretty weird ideas about. Just clean your room. Put yourself up on your bootstraps in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out again, though, I, I feel like this is something I keep hammering, but I think it's important to sort of understand how we approach these ideas. That dynamic between um, between John and Kyle is very much like the best version of the dynamic between Sinestro and Hal. But yeah. by moving beyond Sinestro and Hal, you get that same storytelling dynamic in a way fresher, more interesting way. It's not mm. rooted in this idea of like Sinestro is the other and, you know, he comes from some enlightened race, but actually he's a huge asshole. And like Hal, the noble human, uh, you know, takes his rightful place as the greatest. Now we're talking about two humans who have two very different and sort of contradictory life experiences. And mm. how do they reconcile that, that conflict between them? I think it's a better story. Yeah, me too. And I think it's also, again, I think it leaves more room for exploration of like comedy, personalities. Like, I just think it leaves a lot more room for, for themes in general. Uh, the central wound, as I like to say. Copyright Ron Swallow. <laughs> That's right. Love it. So, so central, central Wound Media, an LLC established by Ron Swallow <laughs> for entertainment that. purposes. I love that. <laughs> So uh, let's go to the next comment. This is uh, from Langley M. Neely. He's, uh, he's one of our big fans. He definitely comments on all of our stuff. So thanks for mm -hmm. commenting and watching, Langley. Uh, for a second, I thought you guys were actually going to try and get rid of the entire history of Oa, the Guardians, and the Lanterns altogether. Yes, conveying all that history is daunting, but I don't think you can or should build a Green Lantern franchise without them. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a rough one. And uh, I recently learned that Langley is 6'7", so I'm going to hold my trash talk to a minimum. <laughs> but uh, uh, honestly, uh, and Langley, follow me on Twitter. You, like, follow everybody else. What the hell? Anyway, uh, I agree, though, that acknowledging that history is daunting but somewhat necessary. I just personally felt, though, if we took our ass to Oa, and saw these big-headed blue dudes, and saw these weird spaceways from the 50s concept art, it would ruin the whole thing, just like it ruined the whole thing in that, old, in that other movie. Yeah. That's yeah. what I, that was my thinking. I, I agree. I think it should basically be uh, sort of like we treated Hal Jordan. It, it exists. 
we don't really talk about it too much because what's the point? I'll go you one better, Ron. I think it should almost be like the aliens in 2001, a space odyssey. Mm. It's like, they're so far above and beyond, you know, it's sort of mind breaking. And I wouldn't mind, first of all, Ed, I think you were so dead on, like, let's not get caught up in their prophecies and their history and whatever. Cause that was such a lead balloon in that Martin Campbell, green lantern movie. But in a sequel, when maybe you do start to expand the mythos, I would love if they treated the Guardians as less like floating blue aliens on a big rocky planet and more as like these weird conceptual ideas that like can only be accessed through the weird Stanley Kubrick-esque monolith style, you know, interface. Oh, so, so like the only way you can talk to them is to literally hook into something that tr- basically like le- allows you to even have a concept of what those beings are basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and dig this. Oh, I'm loving this guys because it leaves what they want up to interpretation, meaning some jerk becomes the head person to talk to them. All of a sudden they become quite jingoistic, don't they? Well, mm. see the, the Oa guardians, they want us to go, do some imperialistic crap. We weren't really doing that before you got in, uh, Officer Green Lantern Trump. Nah, don't worry about it. So, you know, and and, and you know, build the space wall. So I, I really I really think it's also it harkens back to DS9. In DS9, the prophets were of the Bajoran prophets were this amorphous thing that holy people felt that they could feel, but an alien, Cisco, came there, it could actually feel the prophets. The prophets were actually talking through him, but most people couldn't perceived that a human could connect with the prophets in that way. So it put a weird quasi religious religiosity into space, which caused a nice friction. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and was open for lots of storytelling. And also there was this race called the founders who are a shape shifting race who all sort of shifted into a big pool of each other and mixed with each other so that they had all had each other's knowledge and stuff. And then they could come out as individuals, a combination of two of those DS nine concepts and that's Oa, and they're unknowable or ancient. I think that's better than big-headed blue dudes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe you, they man. could still be big-headed blue dudes from time to time if you want. Well, I it's think just if, that if you do any sort of flashback, right? Like a billion years ago, we could see them as big-headed blue dudes if they're building the Manhunters or you know, Krona does his time travel experiments or whatever sort of DC minutia you want to get into. But I just think. I mean, here's another thing going off of what Ed's saying. You know, if they are this ascendant race, maybe they are the source. Maybe once we do get into the new gods and like Mm. they're trying to manipulate the source and the source wall, it cuts the Green Lanterns off from their power in a weird way. This is the thing, like DC has always had this overabundance of cosmic entities uh, as well as like super spy organizations, which is a whole other topic. But like... I think there's so much storytelling ground to, to to rake with trying to reconcile all the weird cosmic ideas that sort of exist at the same time in the DC universe. Like, how do the Endless and the New Gods and the Guardians all relate to each other? I think yeah. that's something a movie could do because it doesn't have to sustain and, like, keep building mysteries for 80 years. Like, just and, and- make itself consistent. Yeah, and on top of that, I think that would uh, do something that DC and Warner Warner Brothers has needed to do, and that's put themselves in a different realm than Marvel. Uh, because one of the, I think, 
they've been trying to compete with Marvel and maybe halfway copy, you know, with Suicide Squad and a, a few other things where they just kind of clearly were just trying to take a blueprint of what Marvel did and make a a a a, a a, a worse copy of it. Let's be honest. Most of the time, and then and and or they're doing something like, well, we're just going to make a dark version of a character that's not dark. Like there, there was no uh, concept with that. If they go with what you're talking about, Bill, they have the option to really do something unique, different that would stand apart from from Marvel, but still take some of the cool concepts that Marvel used um, and. And incorporate them onto their own style of story. I would say. Yeah, I think if if DC is going to actually go down the road of trying to build a cinematic universe, which we can get into whether that's a a worthwhile pursuit at this point in cinematic history or not. Yeah, they really have to do things differently than Marvel did it. That's we've said it before, but it's worth saying again. Also, Ed uh, in the chat, we we got a comment I need to point out. Uh, Chad haunts. Now I really want to have a DS9 watch along with Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it should go as no surprise that uh, Benjamin Sisko is one of my favorite uh, characters, even though I don't think Avery Brooks is actually great at acting. I think he's great at emoting and showing how much he is acting. You know what I mean? But I, don't, I don't know how actory that is, but at the same time, I love it. I love him. I love his whole jazz per- persona. I love Avery Brooks. I love that show uh, because it just kind of showed like outer space isn't always adventure. Sometimes you got to post up somewhere and deal with stuff where you're at. You don't always get to jump on a ship and go somewhere else. Sometimes you got to sit your ass down like we're doing right now, like we as a country are doing right now. Sometimes you got to sit your ass down and examine what you can do to help where you're at instead of always jumping to the ship and going somewhere else. So yeah. that was kind of the thing I liked about DS9. Yeah. Some. So we have uh, one last comment uh, here. And I, you know, this is a very important one, guys. It's uh, probably the most important comment that anybody has ever written on honor of our reboots. And that's from Jacob Blonde. Ed Greer literally has a thing for Amazonian women like Tarantino loves feet. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, I you know what? It's it's too much to deny at this point. So yeah, I, you know, I feel like I feel like when the, when Lance Bass came out, it was like, yeah, homie, we we've been knew that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I I I like that, and and like Langley, uh, uh, my my uh, buddy Langley said, when I think just it's one of those things that gets in you. Whatever you like gets in you. You know what I mean? It gets in your in your mind and in your soul, and I just like it. I don't I don't think I don't think I've been indoctrinated into the cult of skittiness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I like I like the I like all the stuff, and it's become kind of in vogue now to like the curve. So I'm not breaking any sort of mold, you know. But uh, I also think the reason why I wanted to make Starfire larger though is every, all the older comics that I read. Uh, she was looking at the top of Dick Grayson's head. Yeah, yeah. It was very obvious. He's six feet tall, maybe six two or something. Since they were making Batman like six three, six four. So if he's like six feet to six two, and she's looking at the top of his head, she's six seven. She's, she's got to be. She's like six six, six seven. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so so, but I do agree that um, part of what messes up casting in superhero roles is this weird insistence that these superheroic proportioned women are have to be the role. 
So I think we people start to diss Gal Gadot for not being a bodybuilder like Gina Carano. Mm. I don't want to get into that culture, you know. But if they do Big Barda and she's not a big ass CrossFit girl, I'm gonna break everything. I'm gonna break everything. I don't want to see a Big Barda that is not some big CrossFit lady. Yeah, well, big and Barda's let's just, thing is she's big. Yeah, well, and let's just talk about like that that uh, every every type of woman is beautiful and interesting. And we should be supportive and having them cast as characters based upon their skills as actors. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And if you can get somebody who's great at what they're doing and they fit the character that you want, uh, big is fine. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Let's get out there and start being supportive of people being who they are. I would agree mm -hmm. with that. I also think I, I was a little bit surprised because um, that wasn't the only comment that we got in this episode about you know, people finding it weird that Ed wanted Starfire to be a big Amazonian woman. Like, I'm with you, Ed. As far as I remember in the comics, that was always her thing. She was like six eight. I mean, she just was not of human proportion. So yeah, she's bigger than Wonder Woman. Yeah, totally. So that must be that must be one of those new fifty two uh, reboots. They turned her into like a wayfish swimsuit model. Well, in the cart <laughs> in the cartoon, but of course she's young at that point on Teen Titans. They have her pretty thin, but they have everybody thin in Teen Titans. So yeah, thin, thin and more human proportions. I don't think she's looking down on on too many characters that aren't supposed to be remarkably short. In the, yeah, the, yeah, I could get that, and that's probably generational as well. But again, it's so funny that like sometimes we're addicted to the canon, and sometimes we're not. And yeah. I think that's what that's the confusion. People are like, I don't know that. Well, actually, I read the old George Perez comic books, and that was a big broad. You know what I'm saying? So, like, sometimes yeah. you shock people with the fact that you do know. Again, I say it. I say it every rebooted episode. I'm gonna say it one more time. Just because we leave it out does not mean we don't know it. Yeah. We have decided a lot of the time to leave that aside or to try to do something without crutching up on it. And I oh. think overall, it served us well. And Ed knows this, but and probably Bill's heard me talk about this. I have an old joke about how annoyed I was when they took the web webbing and made a giant hole open up his, on his wrist in the first uh, original Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, how much that annoyed me. And it did annoy me. But I, but the reason it annoyed me was because it's part of uh, Peter Parker's character to be a smart person who discovers something that most people wouldn't discover, especially a 16-year-old kid. So to me, that was like taking away from the character. And, and that's why I disliked it. But I think if you stay within the character and come up with some other reason for that, I would let it go now as an older person who's finally relaxed a little bit. Um, but there's some places I probably wouldn't be relaxed. I totally agree with, with that on this. Like, you know, I, I don't want to see a, you know, a bunch of Terry Brooks stuff with elves and, and with no elves or something like that. That would, I'd be like, what are you doing? So, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's elf quest, but they're all ghost writers. Go. Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, it's interesting just in summary for this episode, like Green Lantern, I think is sort of a beast unto itself, especially when we're talking about adhering to the canon or not, because there is so much mythology. I mean, especially even in the past 20 years where they start expanding it out into the whole spectrum of different rings. And then they have all these giant storylines that said, I'm going to say something controversial. A lot of it kind of sucks. <laughs> like there's so much mythology and so much of it feels like it's just there to be there. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it, it's, it was an interesting exercise and, and I think a unique one for us to approach this and be like, okay, 
there's an overwhelming amount of story we could tell. What is the story we should tell? And yeah. I, I still stand by what we came down on. Yeah, me as well. I feel like uh, it was a pretty good. Uh, actually, I feel like it was great. Like I we was rewatching it. I was like, this is good. Like I would want to see this movie. So I am pretty well, proud of that. Just the only the only tweaks I would make is yes, like we were saying. I don't think we should be sad that we didn't come up with the 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 female lead until the end or near the end. Uh, but just in the architecture of the story, working yes. that in a little bit earlier as a thought. I think I I think we'd be, do well to take that note. However, yep. I know that as Bill was saying, we didn't give her character short shrift in the story that we were going to tell. She was very important, and her world was very important. So maybe towards the end, we didn't really uh, talk about how long we were going to be on Tamarind, you know, and things of this nature. So it might have confused people that we were just sort of throwing her in. But other than that, uh, and and I think the John Stewart thing, Neil Adams said it, and I think I mentioned it on the show. This generation, whatever generation you're talking about, frankly, this generation, as long as you're not talking about people who are, frankly, boomers or sub-boomers, they think Jon Stewart is one of, if not the Green Lanterns. They're familiar with him from the cartoon. And I think the original movie kind of messed up. It should have been, honestly, if you're being really smart, pick whatever black person's hot at the time and Ryan Reynolds and do our buddy cop structure with Ryan Reynolds, and you would have printed money. You would have printed money, even with stupid Sinestro or the big head weird dude and all that crap. You would have printed money if they did our basic structure of Jon Stewart being in there helping Hal Jordan or something like that. But that would have been blasphemous to people who think that Hal Jordan is somehow Jon Stewart's boss or something, which he's not. You know what I mean? So yeah, can't win for losing sometimes. Yeah. Well, looking at the chat, Chad Haunts weighing in saying top five. I'm assuming he's saying that our Green Lantern is one of our top five episodes. I'd be curious to know what people's top three even favorite reboots that we've done are. Actually, what are since we're talking about it, what are your guys's? What are what do you think our top three reboots are? I want to see what Ron's are because <laughs> Ron's Ron Ron's brain. Go, Ron. What what do you think the top five are? Um uh, I think um, I think our Lord of the Rings is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastic Four, I would, I would think our Fantastic Four is pretty awesome. Um, and actually, I Wolverine. If we'd been able to do that mm-hmm. in in person, I think our Wolverine is like awesome, like awesome. Mm-hmm. So I think those three, I think. But some of the other ones that were like really funny were fun too. I just liked a lot of them. I mean, like the the Power Rangers was good. I mean, there was just some really, like, I don't know. That's a, it's a hard decision because there's so many fun ones that we've done. Um, so many babies. Uh, me personally, I'll do some uh, dark horse ones because that's my job. Uh, I like Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, I like the He Man episode. Oh and, yeah, and I think. I might go Power Rangers just because on all three of those things besides He-Man, I did not know these things and did not like these things or felt as though I didn't. And in all cases, I knew more than I thought and was able to contribute more than I thought. Oh, Dark Horse Candidate for the Dark Horse Candidates, Super Mario Brothers episode. Ooh, yeah. That one was... Come on, man. Come on, man. I would would say that was the funnest episode that we've done. Mm -hmm. Like... I don't know, man. I, in terms of fun, 
I'll just I'll say I think Power Rangers. I think that was a stone cold masterpiece, and I think <laughs> we ju- we just saw some announcements happening. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of what we talked about in that Power Rangers episode in the the actual reboot that they're coming out with soon. Uh, and I also wouldn't be surprised if our version was still a lot better. Um, I think Power Rangers, I think um, He-Man I loved in terms of being fun. I'll I'll give you a Dark Horse, Ed. I think our Friday the 13th episode is a lot better than the viewership statistics would give it credit for. I think right. that, that movie could actually be turned into a really, really effective horror movie. Um and and probably like in a realistic like a lot of the stuff that we do is so big budget and requires so many big name actors what we did in that episode is actually really interesting in a smaller scale mm-hmm. oh uh, just to jump on that i absolutely agree and i think what our main sin every horror movie has an original sin right there's somebody does something bad and then that ripple effect causes the monster which kills innocent people and then the final girl escapes because of her innocence, supplanting that original sin. And she makes up for the original sin by killing the monster some other way. Our original sin was making the Friday the 13th, for lack of a better word, powers, an idea rather than something given to one person or an affliction put upon one person. The fact that we made the Jasonness something that could spread to people yeah. was very much, if you think about it, Friday the 13th is a ripoff of Halloween. Halloween's original um, stated goal was to do one movie with Michael Myers, one movie with some other thing, one movie with witches, one movie with monsters, and just a Halloween, um, uh, uh, what are those? Anthology. It was going to be a horror anthology that had different chapters across different things. But Michael Myers got so popular that he became a singular thing. So basically our idea is more in keeping with the idea that made Friday the 13th happen than what the audience understands. And I mean, really, it was almost a complete thematic inversion of that story structure that you just set up about following the girl and the sin and the redemption and all that. It it literally is like a reverse of that story structure, which I think yes. is just really tasty. Mm-hmm. And, so- and last things last, we figured out a way to, in the age of cell phones, take them away from kids show that that's a real fear that kids have, especially given all the things we've seen. People could do any damn thing to you if they know you can't tape it, mm. right? Yep. So setting up a situation where kids have their phones taken away, but the kids are the bad ones and not the, not, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not, it's not just, they don't have the, the, the good kids don't have the ability to protect themselves from the bad kids, given the fact that the authority figures have taken away everybody's phones and everybody's agency. That is a horror movie. Good kids trapped with bad kids and the people who are in charge don't care. I, that was my high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think um, I, we're going to have to do a rewind on uh, on that Friday the 13th episode. I think we should definitely do that. Um, I want to say uh, in the comments, uh, Star Wars is mentioned a lot. Mm. Uh, so that's nice. Um, and uh, Back to the Future is mentioned a lot as well. Yeah, I was I was looking at that and uh oh yeah and uh, uh Iram Sheikh GI Joe thank you <laughs> because that one was so freaking rough and I felt like I felt like of all the episodes that we had to kind of save at the last hour that one was up there to me with things that I feel as though we don't get credit for how sal- how much we salvaged 
the trash bag that could have been. I, no, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I, that's definitely not one of my favorites, but I do think we pulled uh, a very tricky trick in that one in, in actually making something that was like viable and sidestepped a lot of the problems that that franchise has. Right. The, the politics. We made the politics of G.I. Joe not utterly regressive and stupid. Yeah, and we also got a few people who said Matrix because they enjoyed uh, the the conflict, <laughs> the fighting, and uh, and and but but that we ended up somewhere too. So I will you know. just say, in in the spirit of that, I think our Star Wars was a lot better than our Matrix, just in terms of like letting the conflict bring us somewhere really interesting. But yeah, we already I talked agree. about the Matrix, and yes, we got to get exactly. Billy yeah, yeah. back before we talk about Star Wars again because he would kill yes. us if we didn't. No, no, no. Yeah, we, we have to. And just, just, yeah, I think Star Wars, it, it stands by itself just because much like Lord of the, I guess that and Lord of the Rings stand by themselves because we initially, we basically made nine movies mm. out of those as, as the police come to get me from my hot takes. Um, we, we, we made like nine movies out of, out of, out of those. We had maybe like six, I think out of the Star Wars one. And then like nine out of this from the Cimmerillion all the way through the Lord of the Rings we did a lot of story ground, like laying a lot of groundwork for the characters to thrive and bounce off of each other in each of those two episodes. So to me, they stand on their own and the rest of them are judged by just the one movie standard. Yeah, fair point. Louise X Sparrow in the chat. I don't have a favorite, but what stands out to me is that even on franchises I don't generally like, I come away wanting to watch your reboots. And listen, that is the point. Yep. So I guess that's actually a great place to end. Um, you guys, thank you for listening uh, to and you know, and and commenting with us and chatting with us and hanging out with us for this reboot rewind. We really enjoy it. We enjoy that you guys love our reboots. We love doing them. So on behalf of myself, Ed Greer, producer Bill, and the now missing Billy Business, because yeah. Billy Business would love to be here. Uh, we want to say thank you for watching and being part of uh, this really special community that we built here. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Hey, guys, this is Ron. If you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Rebooted channel on YouTube, and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. We've got a new Tee Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want. The Mumbo Gumbo, the Pop Art Reboot Crew, the classic logo, and then, of course, the Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles, and DJ Qualls, among other fan-favorite comments. So do yourself a favor. Go to tpublic.com slash user slash reboot dash it and pick up your favorite T-shirt. So thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Reboot It.